Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean DeBias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Alana Drell-Cypher. She's the CEO of the luxury brand Revive. Really cool brand that we're going to talk about. Not to be confused with Revive, who is also the sponsor of this program, which is a beauty tech company in Helsinki. So uh, we'd really like to welcome you. It's good to see you. You're looking uh, looking good there. Thank you. Nice to see you too. Yeah, I um, I, a lot of uh, men and women, mostly women, have used your brand all over the world. I know, but you're still a pretty. It's an interesting background of a company. You've gone through a lot of different things, and then you've come in to kind of reboot them and take them to the next level since I think 2017. So I think it would be awesome just to tell us kind of the, the review story, starting maybe starting with Dr. Brown and, and the, the journey up until you. It's um, I think there's a lot of lessons learned here. Sure, it's a 23-year journey, but I'll try and make it as... Oh, I didn't know it was that long. ...as possible. Essentially, we'll start with the doctor. Dr. Brown was a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. He did his, uh, his focus was really on burn wound healing. And it was through his research in burn wound healing uh, that he started working with epidermal growth factor, uh, which he found sped up the healing of wounds um, for burn victims, uh, which was important to help people survive, uh, especially bad burns. Um, and he went on to become a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. And when women would come to see him, for a facelift or an eye lift or whatever it was, you know, he would say to them, tell me what it is you're looking for. Um, and they would say, well, I want, you know, healthy, glowing skin. And he would say, okay, great, but I can't give you that with a facelift. And so he kind of merged the, the thoughts of the research he had done for, with burn wound healing, which essentially just uh, reproduced your skin at a healthy rate uh, with what he knew women were looking for. And he started making a cream with epidermal growth factor that he gave away in his practice. It ended up in the hands of somebody who knew the head of Neiman Marcus. And in 1997, that person said to him, if you can produce this commercially, we will launch you. And he was born. And so for the first about eight years or so, he ran the business out of his office. He was a doctor and he was running Revive simultaneously. Was it always, uh, always called Revive or was it Dr. Brown's potion at one point or something? It's always called Revive. And that, well, it's, a, it's a great question because you know lots of Dr. Brands, people call it their name. <laughs> I probably tried some of their stuff. He yes. always understood that it shouldn't be his name, actually. And it actually yeah. speaks volumes, not only Smart. for his kind of instinct for brand, but also his, his personal humility. Um, and the business got an enormous amount of attention. You know, honestly, everybody looked at it, Estee Lauder, L'Oreal. Um, and ultimately, um, it was acquired uh, by a company called Gerwich Products, which simultaneously was purchased by Altacor. Yes, and I so remember. I remember that well. Full disclosure: I was on their the uh, Altacor advisory board, part of Amway. Uh, yeah, yeah they, they bought a lot of brands. Yeah, and so he, um, I think, probably made one of the 
the first classic, you know, it went to the highest bidder, but not necessarily the bidder who knew what to do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the business was under Altacor for about eight years um, and combined with the brand Laura Mercier. Um, and so really the focus was Laura Mercier and Raviv kind of languished. However, it wasn't ruined. So no bad distribution, no, no, no harm to formulas or anything like that. And in 2016, um, uh, Laura Mercier was sold to Shiseido. Um, and along with it, as a little gift, came Raviv. Uh, and so as Laura Mercier was being integrated into Shiseido, People were just sort of being taken off Raviv and nothing was kind of happening to it. So um, I uh, work with a group called Tangram Capital Partners. I had run another portfolio company for them. We had just sold and I was transitioning out of that business. And the, the partner that I work with kind of kept knocking on uh, Shiseido's door saying, what are you doing with that Raviv business? Yeah. Why don't you me. So we actually first looked at it for a different purpose um, and then realized that it could really stand alone on its own. And so it was a full uh, carve out from Shiseido. We bought uh, intellectual property and inventory, existing business relationships, but that was it. Oh, wow. Well, having done a couple of spin outs myself, that, that's almost like a startup. First, you have the pain of doing the spin out and then you've got to actually reboot it and start over. Yeah. Wow. So you've been we through quite it, a journey since. Yeah, then. we call ourselves uh, a 23 year old startup. Honestly, <laughs> that's kind of how we created the culture. But we the first four months, we worked through a transition services agreement with Shiseido. So you're yeah, uh, fulfillment distribution. While you're building a company, but making all the decisions. Um, but we, you know, within four months, we were fully separated. Um, and we went, I was employee number one of NUCO. Um, and we're now uh, 25 people in our corporate office, nice. uh, which is in people's homes at the moment. <laughs> yeah, of course. What, um, what kind of culture is it? Now, that is a, a you know, a very... Uh, a turbulent story, if anything. So I know it's all new employees now, but uh, is, it, uh, is it Dr. Brown's back involved? So um, I actually remember meeting him once a long time ago. It's all coming back to me. But uh, is it kind of like science technology company? Because I know you guys are grounded in science. Everybody walking around in lab coats or is it a little, we, little different? We don't wear lab coats and not, uh, Dr. Brown, not Dr. Brown either. But, you know, it's it's actually an, a, a mix, I would say, of science and if you will, oh, and start up. Um, so in terms of, you know, one of the things, um, having done a few kind of turnarounds myself and um, working with some people that I've worked with in the past on some turnarounds, we didn't adapt the, the culture of Uber luxury from an office perspective. We have kept a flat organization. We work in an open space. We kind of keep it um, uh, luxury scrappy, as we like to say. Um, and you know, everyone, it, it's a very transparent, but active culture, you know, um, and we move quickly, we make decisions quickly. Um, and we try not to kind of get, get 
too caught up in ourselves. Yep. Um, Dr. Brown is back involved with us. He's on our board. He's That's an great. investor. Um, and so he is um, both a very humble and sophisticated person. He is an art collector. Um, and there was a lot of art kind of in the brand um, previously, which we've, we've brought back. Um, and what we've tried to really mix together is this idea of the science of the formulas uh, and the technology, but the humanity of him, honestly, as a doctor. Um, and so in, you know, there, one of the things that was lacking for a long time was just any kind of uh, branding on the business, um, new product introductions, marketing of the brand, PR, et cetera. And so, you know, we kind of work under the banner of the idea of the joy of skin renewal, joy being the humanity piece and skin renewal being the science piece. I like that. You also say your performance-based skincare. Yes. Luxury, luxury skincare, of course. Yes. Different yes. Price what does that mean, performance-based you know, performance is really one of the things, interestingly, when we were doing the diligence on the business is for all intents and purposes, you know, there were there wasn't a lot of inventory in stores. There hadn't been, you know, a, pro, a new product pipeline. It, it could have been dead, but it wasn't because the one thing people said to us all the time is this stuff works. It really works. And so there is an incredible amount of formula um, integrity, I would say. Um, and, and for a small brand, um, I would say um, uh, testing uh, and research that goes into the products. So when we talk about performance, we're really talking about high levels of, of active ingredients um, and very uh, performing formulas. And then the luxury piece is really about service. Oh, so, and, and you cater to, I mean, besides, you know, retail and e-commerce and such, you also go through spas and dermatologists. I've seen it in my dermatologist office before. So it has to have some integrity to pass through those channels usually. Um, how do you find like managing all those channels? So, some brands, they just, they just focus on the pro kind of, you know, brands, whether it's right. hair care, skin care, and others are more mass retail or especially retail, like a Sephora. And it seems like, are you in all of those? Same no, time? no. I mean, I think the core of the brand is really department store. Okay. Um, originally was department store. It was Neiman Marcus exclusive U.S. for about three years. Um, and the footprint in the U.S. is, you know, Neiman Marcus, Saks Fifth Avenue, Blue Mercury. Uh, those were kind of the heritage retailers domestically. Um, and there is much less from a dermatologist and, uh, you know, sort of spa uh, distribution perspective. Where, where we've expanded greatly is e-commerce, first with our brick and mortar partners, and then of late with with a lot of uh, not a lot but with select uh, pure play e-commerce partners uh which there was no you know kind of history of the brand at all in in any of the e-commerce pure plays yeah i assume you've yes. uh, you've you've been talking about that you've accelerated that in 2020 does that mean you're all over amazon too i haven't searched yet not no. amazon no okay. not yeah, amazon. You're, you're, yeah i mean they sell all kinds of things uh 
I think I saw, hot, I saw a hot tub there for 10 grand yesterday. So I assume you could sell luxury <laughs> products. You know, their, their demographic, you know, yeah. uh, is, is not different from, they have plenty of luxury customers. Yes, they do. Um, but you brought up retail. So let's dig into it. Um, for over two years now, there's been the quote unquote retail apocalypse going on and uh, just accelerated by 2020. But for the un trained observer, it's, it's been going on for a long time. And uh, you often said something that uh, it's like distribution is dead, I think is one of the uh, uh, Estee Lauder quotes. Um, it's it's not pretty out there, especially with a lot of the retailers that you either used to sell through that are gone. Um, what are you doing specifically to kind of counteract that in terms of in-store? I get the e-commerce stuff, you're all over it, that's awesome, your site looks good. Well, you know, a couple of things. I mean, pre the, the first thing is you have to kind of stay one step ahead of the of retail as it's falling apart with yeah. you know with you. So, um, you know, for example, last year, obviously in fourth quarter, there was suddenly no more Barneys. Uh, you know, um, long before COVID, there were all kinds of political unrest in Hong Kong. And, you know, that had been a, a very big market for us also. And so, you know, there, there are different kinds of, of pivots. Um, one of them is, you know, obviously, in addition to doing business from an e-commerce perspective, a very big piece of our business in store was done through events, inviting people in for personal consultations, for complimentary uh. facials, for meetings with Dr. Brown. And we've actually had to essentially parallel path our entire services menu to be virtual as well. So we have done virtual master classes. We have done virtual one-on-one -on -one consultations, which we, we do offer. You can book it through our site. Uh, but with some of our retail partners, we've done events with Dr. Brown. So a customer will, um, you know, can log on to a master class. We've done them with other brands narrated by a retail partner. We've done them ourselves. And you can have a personal consultation either with our, our global esthetician or with Dr. Brown. Um, so, you know, there have been many different types of things that, that we've had to do. Yeah, and, and just shifting the, the retail mix, I guess, would uh, probably be the same. We've been talking to a lot of retailers on the program about how they're you know, rebooting the whole experience and touchless is only one of 20 issues they've got getting, you know, just getting people to casually shop again is uh, taking time. It's, it's taken off in China already, as you've, as you've already talked about on uh, some other programs. But the um, what we're seeing, especially at the other Revive, the beauty tech companies, you know, the whole ability to use your phone, uh, both in-store and, and online to kind of do quick diagnostics, search for products and not touch much in the stores, as well as try-ons and things that... It is. Uh, it's been booming. Uh, it's been up at about two, three hundred percent, depending on um, what e-commerce site. The in-store stuff is uh, ready to come back, but that could be a good, probably a good pivot to China. So, in China, uh, it's a huge part of your business, I think, as well as Chinese consumers used to come to this country and buy. But uh, what are you seeing in China? What's the uh, what's the reboot been looking like there? So you're 100% right. We, the brand's only been in China 18 months. We knew we needed to be there because of the customers we had at places like Bergdorf Goodman in New York City, Saks Fifth Avenue, New York City, Harrods in London. Um, and so uh, the fastest way to enter China is through cross-border e-commerce. Um, and so that's how we entered. 
Um, and within so a very you're on Tmall then and uh, Little Red Book, uh, Tobacco, yes. stuff like that. Exactly. Um, and um, China has quickly become not only my biggest region outside of U.S., but if it were an individual account, bigger than any mm -hmm. of my individual accounts. Um, and, nice. you know, what works in, um, it, and as a result of that, um, because China is, is now representing about 25% of my total business, um, and it's all digital, and it's forced the team to think differently. They don't think about, okay, so what does the beauty advisor say and what does the tester unit look like, et cetera. You have to think about bringing a product to market 100% visually right. and then, um, and then uh, obviously verbally, uh, but, but in a digital sense. And so, you know, one of the things um, that I, I think about luxury, you know, as this, this whole idea of, of, of distribution kind of changes is uh, anybody can do digital, right? Anybody can take a picture, anyone can put it on social. And it, but if your visual imagery is what's, you know, distinguishing you from your competitors, then actually the visual becomes more important than ever, or the animation becomes more important than ever. And so I do think that Chinese customers recognize that they're very sophisticated. And so how we present things and how we animate things and then how we explain them um, is, is a very big part of doing business in China. And we specifically work with a creative agency um, that has an expertise in sort of visualization around the world. Yeah, that's critical, I think. Um, very very digitally savvy uh, consumers over there, depending on the age. Speaking of ages, um, what are you doing to target millennials, XYZ, uh, you know, kind of all the next gens? Um, we, a bunch of different things. The first was we didn't have any um, smaller size products in our line, um, even uh -huh. a few months. And so the first thing that we did was introduce them. Um, the team was very disappointed in the beginning when they weren't flying off the shelves, but we realized that there was no incentive for a beauty advisor at a counter an entry price point if she's getting commissioned off the full size, et cetera. But now that we have so much more e-commerce business, not only on our own site, but on others, it is, we absolutely see those smaller size products uh, kind of rising to the top. And that's actually the case in China too. Uh, so they, want, they want smaller sizes? They just don't want the big as tubs? Try, as a first, as a, as, as a gateway into a uh, brand, but then they, they will come back in. So, right. you know, that's one. The second is kind of looking at uh, pricing uh, 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 among uh, making sure that the offering is broad enough that there are products at different price points in the brand, both a little bit more entry, but there is also an Uber luxury customer too, even a millennial Uber luxury customer. So we kind of run, we kind of make sure that in a year, the calendar is balanced between focusing maybe on an entry as well as something much higher end. Um, and then, you know, access. Um, we um, launched there was there were no pure play e-commerce players in the brand at all when we first launched. So we've recently launched Be Glowing, Skin Store, Look Fantastic, 
Uh, our own site has tripled in three years. Um, there really wasn't a big e-commerce business for Revive itself. Um, so, you know, kind of all of those things are things that we've done. Right. And, uh, you know, being strong in e-commerce, having started three years ago, uh, I assume that helped you through the early days of the pandemic when everything was shutting down and your your channels were in disarray or closed. Let's just call it that. Um, that, yeah. that probably, probably helped you propel through a little bit. Our site helped, but I do have to say, I mean, some of the retailers um, pivoted well themselves. And I give, right. you know, for example, Saks, um, I think, has done an incredible job. Um, they've been great communicators. They did a great job online. And yes, there was some level of promotionality, uh, you know, end of March, April into May. Um, but some of those businesses are, are whole with the shift going very much online, but the, the total Omni numbers are not down as much as you might think because they've ramped up their online piece. Yeah, Omni meaning Omni channel. Exactly. So you were well positioned there. No, it's um I know you've you've talked about it on some other programs. Um, I think you guys have done a great job. I mean, you were a good kind of triage trauma CEO. Um we It's went funny down. you say the word triage because coming out of this culture of doing a you know, a complete carve out stand up um, triage is actually a word that's in our culture. We used to do a uh, triage at nine every morning and at five every afternoon when we were in our um, our, our um, transition services agreement. And it's actually, we went to once a day. And so, but we do triage as a team and that's what it's called every Monday morning at nine. There's a shared Google doc. Everybody inputs something that's cross-functional that they need somebody else's help with. And it's how we start the week. We go through it. You know, if something stays on triage for three weeks or if it isn't updated, you know you're in trouble. Uh, we do it now virtually. And we kind of adopted, readopted some of that triage culture as part of being virtual with teams. You know, there's a mandate on how often you have to check in with your team, et cetera. Smart. Yeah, a lot of CEOs have experienced that from, uh, you know, startups to multi-billion dollar multinationals where they've had to go down in the weeds, but purposefully doing it. <laughs> on a couple of the boards I'm on, that, that shared Google Doc is like way too long. Uh, between, Mar <laughs> between March and July, it was just never ended. So uh, they figured out how to like remanage it. Yeah, I, I think there's a good lesson there not to lose that culture from you guys. That's a, uh, that's a good one. I, I actually like it. We... Um, you know, I, I like to talk a lot about, you know, just growth and innovation on this program, the governance around that and how you approach it. And, you know, looking forward, obviously, you just want to get through the holiday season and get 2020 behind you, uh, whatever that means. Um, it doesn't mean what it used to, I know. But how do you approach growth and innovation specifically around partnering? You know, we talk a lot about build, buy, borrow. So you've already bought, you bought a company. Uh, mm -hmm. But borrowing, the whole partnering thing and co-creating products, either with customers or channels or what, what, what's your thought there? You know, interestingly, um, I think in the past couple of months, I, I find in general that the, that the beauty industry is, is very collegial. And as much as we compete, I do think that people are pretty relationship oriented. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, doing brand partnerships um, actually had, had been something we were doing, but not as not so high on our priority list when, you know, we kind of looked at all of our other priorities. 
And we use this period to kind of reach out to friends who are CEOs, brands who are like-minded, and do some very low-cost or almost no-cost partnerships to help each other. Let's do sweeps. I'll post you, you post me, that kind of thing. And actually, those have turned out to be some of the, the most successful things we've done in terms of customer acquisition and social engagement, um, especially during this period. Um, and so I think that's proven to be something that's that's really uh, helpful for us as a brand um, and a, a, a very fast way to kind of reach a new like-minded audience. Yeah, fast and simple. doesn't have to be that complicated. Um, can we talk about you a little bit? Is that all right? There's no rules here. Um, so you know, you've had a you had a big long corporate career like like many of us, and then it switched. You know, got away from the dark side and kind of went to startups. A rather turbulent start of the startups. Uh, so you've been at L'Oreal, Avon, Estee Lauder, uh, even did a little stint at Kenneth Cole. Um, what was it like for you? What was your journey like? Kind of leaving the the big bureaucratic we call them BFSs, the big fat slow companies, and and you know doing Revive. Um, I mean, my the first time was I, I wanted to do it. Somebody we mutually know was actually the person who encouraged me. Uh, she said, Alana, if you're going to work this hard, you know, and travel all over the world and never be home, you should own a piece of something. <laughs> and I kind of said, that sounds like Pauline Brown to me. <laughs> that was Pauline Brown. But I said, I, I, I don't even know what that means. I'm a big company girl. And anyway, I learned and, um, the, the beginning was an incredible shock. I mean, I went from uh, a corner office at Estee Lauder running global marketing on the Estee Lauder brand to uh, running North America for a very small Israel-based skincare company. And it was it was a culture shock from That's a, a, culture a, shock. Yep. a professional perspective, a personal, I mean, every perspective. Um, and, and I, you know, for months thought I had made the worst mistake of my life. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, for me personally, the, you know, seeing and feeling um, the excitement and the effort that you put into something every day, um, there's nothing else, you know, kind of like it. Um, you also learn a lot very quickly, whether you want to or you don't. Uh, you make a ton of mistakes. You hope they're not fatal ones uh, to your business. Um, and, you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it. So it sounds like the uh, sounds, sounds like the Israeli company, which is your first startup, was really your dress rehearsal. It really prepared you for this, it sounds like. Yeah, it prepared. It was, um, you know, I, this is the second investment I've done with Tengram Capital Partners. I also um, ran a company for them called Laura Geller. And they um, basically the, the partner who I work with um, said, yeah, I, I never hire. I, I don't train CEOs. I don't I don't train CEOs on my dime. They had to do big company, but then they had to do a small company. So, yes, Ahava was my my dress rehearsal, um, but it's what got me to, to working with Tengram, which was great because I work with them in an operating perspective, um, but I've also worked with them in an advising perspective and uh, served on a couple of boards for them too. Yeah, they're a good uh, private equity group. 
So yeah. for people, so we've got people listening both on the corporate side as well as on the startup side. Uh, most of the startup people aren't thinking of going back to corporate, but some do. Uh, you, kind of like you did for a little bit. Um, yeah. What What do you say to those that are kind of maybe they're still in that addicting addictive corner office, sorry, environment, um, albeit from home? Um, what do you say to them about just uh, encouraging them to take that that leap, that uh, entrepreneurial leap, if you will? Sure. You know, people kind of ask me that all the time and ask for my advice. And, you know, what I always tell people is that you you have to kind of find a way to look deep within yourself and see what it is that is going to keep you um, kind of professionally uh, stimulated and sustained. Um, and if it's, you know, if it's being in a corporate environment and there are a lot of pluses to it there are resources there is you know kind of continuous learning opportunities there are big teams there are i mean there are a lot of pluses um if that's what is meaningful to you then that's where you should stay but if you you know want to see the fruits of your labor quickly and if you want to own your own decisions and if you you know, want to spend time on work as opposed to politics, so you can kind of see where my head is. Um, then the entrepreneur, you know, doing something in a in a in a smaller environment that gives you a little bit more visibility is, is probably for you. And I I like the private equity model because um, for I always feel like the everyone's aligned. There's a you're, you're, and the measurements are obvious. There's not a subtext and, you know, everyone's kind of aligned towards the same end. Not, not a lot of hidden agendas. Common enemy strategies definitely help. Uh, a lot. I really want to thank you for being on the uh, program. It's been uh, insightful for a lot of the viewers. And um, if you were to just looking ahead, what's next? You know, we've got Christmas season coming up, to tw you know, 2021. I know it's hard to plan right now. It's hard to act normal. But what uh, what's next for you? Um, the one thing I've personally, you know, had to realize now spending five months at home is it, we're not going back to where we came from. And I was good for a couple of months thinking like, this is a crisis, but we're going to go back. And I've, I've had to kind of let that go completely. It, we aren't going back to what it was. And so the sooner I think that people kind of uh, allow themselves to let go of that and then look at business differently. Uh, I think the better they'll feel personally and the, and the faster their companies will, will kind of morph. Um, and so it's hard to imagine, you know, making up the business we used to do in stores somewhere else, uh, but we will. Uh, and so, um, and I, and I don't, I don't only think it's e-commerce. I do think that there is people still crave human interaction. Uh, I think it's just going to have to happen in a much more personalized one-on-one -on -one way. Yeah. That kind of takes us back to how we started talking about Amway. The MLM model, as some of us know, we're probably going to have them on soon. Yeah. It's not, it's not Digital going Digital MLM. I'm telling you, that's, uh, you oh, know. I'm going to come up, I'm coming up with a new hashtag for that. You've been listening to, to Alana Trell-Cypher, the CEO of Revive. Thanks for joining us today. Hope to see you soon. Maybe in person next time. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Good to meet you. Thank you.
Bye. Bye.